Welcome to the Future of Work Live. Hosted by Mark Salisbury, author of the new book, Socrates Digital for Learning and Problem Solving. Each 25-minute episode with Mark and his guests prepares you for the upcoming new world of work. Welcome to the Future of Work Live. I'm Mark Salisbury, your host. Today, Bob Grassberger will be my guest, and we will talk about managing knowledge in the era of chat GBT. And you might remember Bob Grassberger. He's an emeritus faculty at the University of New Mexico and the former vice chair of the New Mexico Workforce Development Board. While working on knowledge management projects in the early 2000s, Bob became interested in the idea of social capital and how it affects both work, productivity, and innovation. Over the last years, And Bob, we're off to a great start. We've already crashed about six seconds in. <laughs> yeah, I wondered whether we were in uh, uh, lost in space there for a while, Mark. No, we, we were definitely. So, uh, okay. And so I guess we're going to start out with whatever you want to talk about. How's that? And, and then we're going to get to what is chat GPT. But I think you have a little introduction for us. Oh, so we are live right now, right, Mark? Yes. We are live. A lot of people have wondered if I've been live for a long time. <laughs> well, it's fabulous to be here with you live. So I, I think that what I wanted to talk about, I, I mean, there's a lot of angst anymore about will robots take over our jobs? Will this, you know, will I lose my job because of these new smart things? And I think for context, I just want to start off by asking people to remember there was a book that came out in 20. 14, I think, by Bernjolfson and McAfee called The Second Machine Age. And, and their premise was that we had this first machine age where we literally developed machines to supplement, to augment our physical abilities. So we, where we had the shovel, we developed the steam shovel or the backhoe. And their contention was we now have the second machine age and we have these tools now that rather than augment our physical abilities, they augment our cognitive abilities. And I think, you know, you and I have been benefactors of a lot of that, right? I mean, ultimately, remember when we first started, when you and I were first getting started, we did spreadsheets by hand, right? You, yeah. you remember those days with the green bar and all of that? And then, oh, yeah. then lo and behold, something called super calc showed up and there were a whole litany of others. And, uh, but these are really cognitive tools that helped us build our capacity. So 
uh, I kind of want to start off with that framework because I, I actually, as I've talked to people about ChatGPT, and we got to realize that ChatGPT is is a relatively new product. It wasn't. It was released in November of last year. I mean, so we're kind of still out on that that uh, uh, early adopter phase where people are starting to talk about it, but it hasn't quite leapt the curve yet. But there's a lot of angst out there about will this tool replace me? Will it create? You know, if I could interrupt for a second there, Bob, is that some of our audience might not really have a good grip on what chat GBT is. So could you define it for us? Well, so Mark, you're probably better with the computer science at this, uh, but but chat GPT is, in my understanding, is it's a large language model. It's a, an AI chatbot that al allows us to be conversational, to ask, to ask and, and uh, get responses from this model about uh, various questions we'd pose. And, and one of the things that I think makes it so unique is that literally while you're engaged with it, it feels like you're having a, a conversation with another human being. Mm -hmm. Now, you probably understand more about what the mechanics of it are than I do, I mean, with your background. So, well, and in it, I, but I have to tell you that I'm, I'm really impressed with it, uh, that it does a, a number of things really well. I, I've played around with it too. And one of the things is you can look up stuff, you know. So, for example, a topic I looked up uh, recently is basically Bloom's taxonomy. So it just pulls that up, tells you what the categories are. And then and then you can ask, well, has anyone revised that? And it comes up with Craftwell's revision. And then what you can do is you can say, can you summarize this in 200 words? And it does. And much better than most people and certainly much, much faster. So that brings us to our next question is, is can this really help us innovate? Because I know you've been thinking about this. Yeah, so indeed, I've done a lot of the testing like you have, and, and I've asked some of these relatively complex questions, and, and you and I have had some conversations with some of our colleagues about it. Um, one of our more witty colleagues said, we should just give it a degree because it does better than our students have done in terms of summarizing, et cetera. Um, but I wanted to actually know what this question that you posed, can I actually utilize this tool to help me um, be more innovative, to be more creative? And, you know, creativity is kind of the, the seed of innovation. Um, and ultimately, no, it's a, I mean, to, to, to ask ChatGPT to innovate, it's not going to be able to do that on its own um, because it's just going to go out and it's going to hit all of these thousands of sources and extract data, it's going to bring stuff back. Where it can help us, again, is this idea of augmentation, but it requires that I be, uh, that I participate, that I be smart as well. And so I can ask it to do a number of things. Um, I think uh, one of the areas that I looked at initially is can it problem solve? Yeah. And it can problem solve to the degree that it has information out there that it, that it can extract and synthesize. But it's not going to come up with some kind of creative new solution, right? That's that's really where it's not going to perform. Um, and, and that, again, is where I think you and I need to step in. You know, the other thing is, is I don't know if you've noticed this, and, and I, ask, I ask questions predominantly in the human performance space. It's only as smart as we are smart, right? Because sometimes it brings back, have you had this where it brings back answers and you're like, yeah, that's not, 
quite right. Um, yeah. Yeah. And, and I, I noticed the other day I was playing with and it was it was me actually that that didn't help because I said, tell me about Brinkerhoff's six box model. And it came back with a big rant about this Brinkerhoff six box model. And then I realized it's not Brinkerhoff's model. It's Binder's six box model. <laughs> <laughs> so I had to tell it I've erred. And it's quite fascinating what they've done. That it that it interacts with you. I said I've made a mistake. It wasn't Brinkerhoff. It was it was Binder, and it, and it apologized to me. <laughs> so I was kind of astounded at that. Uh, so it is quite conversational. Uh, so it's kind but, of like the Cliff Cliff Clavin off of Cheers. You remember the post office worker that knew something about everything. Yeah, and it, and unless your audience is a lot older than the you know what I think, they probably won't know who Cliff Clavin is. Well, you know, that's what the internet's for. They can they can Google that. <laughs> yeah, I, I tell you what, and it's an experience that we should watch Cliff Clavin. So, well, so the other thing though is it, that that the problem solving though um, it doesn't it it does a good job of synthesizing of bringing together large pools of data. And by the way, here's a little tip that I learned that that actually is kind of uh, interesting. I don't know if you played with this yet, but you can say, "Tell me about this and that," and Give me the sources, cite me the sources, and it'll yeah. cite the sources, which is which is quite useful because otherwise it's just this blob of information. Yeah. Um, but the thing that I found that really helps in terms of creativity is I can use it as kind of a brainstorming tool to, to bring disparate ideas, things that I might not have otherwise thought about. And then um, one of the things that I think you and I know because we've done dissertation work so much with people is that if you ask the wrong question, it takes you down the wrong path sometimes. And yeah. one of the things that I found that this tool is really great at is helping me to restate the problem. I just ask it, I'll, I'll ask it the, the problem and I'll say, reframe the problem. Give me seven reframes of this particular problem statement, oh. which is incredibly valuable because then you, you, you get a perspective, you go, oh, I hadn't thought about it from that way. And again, it's not going to be innovative. It's not going to come up with some kind of innovative thing, but it'll just come back maybe with something that you go, oh, I can leverage that. Yeah. And then have you, have you found this, Mark? You also have the capacity to tell it to summarize, and, and, and you can ask it to summarize it as if it were teaching it to a teenager or a fifth grader. And it'll come back, and, which in my world, given that I have a, uh, a lot of the work that I do requires that I write at a certain grade level, it's actually quite astounding uh, to oh, be able yeah, to say, I yeah. need you to write this at a sixth grade level. Mine might, mine might already be by default, like on a five or six year old's level. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, getting back, getting back to what you're, what you're saying, I think if, if we were to think about it in, you know, cognitive terms, I think what it can do very well is this thing we call deductive reasoning, right? So it can go out and find whatever rules you're going to need. Like, like you can ask it, how do you solve the area of a circle, right? And it'll give you something that we're all familiar with from school in that little formula to do that. And so it can do that on a much larger scale, too, with recent scientific findings, and it can give you those deductions. But I think and uh, what you're saying, too, and I... I uh, have thought about this a little bit is that it doesn't do that inductive part, right? And so that's what researchers always do is we 
have that inductive part where we say, okay, here's all of these things. We need to take a step into the unknown to learn something new and innovative. And typically that's going to take uh, looking at some kind of data or evidence and being able to, to set up an experiment, if you will. And so that's that idea of being able to, to move forward from what's already known. But it can help us, I think, tremendously with being able to bring together what is known. And I think there's that human piece for us is that we can use this tool to take that next step and get there a lot quicker with a tool like. Yeah, indeed. I, I, I don't want to be too erudite, but I, I think about um, in terms of writing a dissertation, one of the first things you got to do is a literature search, which goes out and looks at the expansive of the knowledge. But the next chapter is you've got to start to assimilate that. And so that's that from that deductive to that inductive that you're talking about. So I, I think that's an excellent example of, uh, of what you just said. Yeah. You know, it is funny how a, a lot of times the things that we joke about tend to come true. You know, I worked when I worked at a, a large aerospace company in the Seattle area and we had a military uh, funding to come up with at that time was a very uh, innovative kind of computer program that could basically understand text messages in the intelligence area, right? And so they, they get, and the whole problem was, is you've got thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of these messages that you're doing every hour, right? And how can you, a person can't read all of these. And so we worked on this and we worked on things that we recognized from ChatGBT uh, that have matured a lot since then, but these language models and, and things to be able to understand what these messages are. And one of my colleagues joked that, uh, you know, we're doing this work on this side, but somebody's going to have to read all of this intelligence so we can actually create a program that's going to read all the intelligence and then summarize it for us. And then we started to laugh and said, well, you know, now we don't even have to do anything as people. We can just have machines make up stuff, pump it out to other people or other machines, and they digest it, and then they send it on to the ark on the golf course. <laughs> so it's kind of come, come so, full circle. So, so you, you remember, uh, since you came out of that space, there's a thing called Morvex uh, Paradox, and Morvex Paradox is that we can uh, teach machines things that we see as, that are hard as humans, right? So logic and mathematics and all that. But the paradox is that the things that we as humans think are easy is very difficult to teach machines, right? The, the walking and the communication and all of that. Um, and so I think that's one of the reasons when you start thinking of that paradox, it's going to be a long time before humans can actually, or before machines can actually do that. Some of those that human work, that human lift work that that we do. So, I don't think we've got to be overly concerned about that day coming. However, that said, I will tell you that you can. At what I've played with this a little bit is I've taught it to learn um, by reading articles that I've written that are online. I point it to it and I say, read this and summarize this or whatever. And then I can tell it to actually to respond in the style that I write in my voice, in the voice that this article is written into. So that does kind of push to where your your friends were talking about, right? Yeah. yeah. And then you know? I also think about, you know, what what does this actually mean in terms of productivity? And 
So, uh, you know, one of my, those friends <laughs> that I worked at with at that company, one of them had a saying that uh, a lot of people have made a good living copying out of one notebook into another one. And I've always kind of, I don't know, for some reason remembered him saying that. Uh, but if you think about how chat GPT could affect entire industries, okay, let's say, look at people who are developing environmental impact statements, right? And you got and, and reports, and you got somebody who specializes in that, and they're educated, and they bring all that expertise, and they might make a dozen of these reports each year. Well, now you might give that person something like ChatGPT, and now they, they generate about 150 of those reports. So what is that going to mean? You know? So that brings us to, will it take everyone's job at the end of the day? Yeah, and, and, and I, I, I agree. That's uh, a concern that, you know, I was thinking the other day, I'm in process of writing a, a journal article and I asked it to pull together. I asked it a, a question that was a, a pretty compound question. Um, and, and remember, you can, you can append these questions to ask it to do it certain ways, write it seven paragraphs, write in 600 words, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, but I asked it to write an introduction to a journal article that I'm writing. And lo and behold, it it kicked it out, you know, and, and then, of course, my obligation is to go back and understand, is that legitimate? I mean, we're making this thing sound like it's this this fabulous, wonderful tool. We got to remember, there's still some there's still some uh, problems with this tool. Right. I mean, it, it, it has this uh, it sometimes writes really plausible sounding, but incorrect, nonsensical answers. And, yeah. and if you're not aware of that, if you don't bring your human side to it, uh, as a matter of fact, they call it uh, artificial intelligence hallucination, where it literally <laughs> just makes stuff up. Um, so I, I think that we're still going to be, but indeed, I, I see that in the writing profession and all, especially if you've got like your example there, where you have somebody that's writing a document that's kind of a template that's going to that's gonna be utilized over and over again. Uh, I suspect that if you got that and you put that in and you trained it up, that you could basically put yourself out of business uh, yeah. or your productivity could go way up, right? Or the, the, the positive side. I just finished up a, a letter working with other people on a committee for a recommendation for promotion for another one of our, our professors here at uh, the university that I work at. And I probably have put... I don't know, eight hours into this letter. And I'm thinking if I had chat, I mean, it did cross my mind, <laughs> but I didn't do it. But if I use chat GBT, that I could probably write a better letter. It's grammatically, grammatically better than what I would put out. Uh, use probably more precision with the words. And it would have probably taken me an hour, not eight hours. Right. And so but it would always be my responsibility to make sure that it's correct. But I think the actual mechanics of writing would be better than what I would have, you know, that I ended up doing. So I just yeah. think that's fascinating. I, I agree. I, the, the thing that I was talking about with the front end of this journal article, I just what I was dealing with was stagnation. As a writer, sometimes there's days that you just go, man, I just had, I, and you, you know, and the old rule of thumb, just start typing, just start running. Well, yeah. that's great. That's, you know, but you end up sometimes with just garbage after two hours of writing. This thing cranked out in 45 seconds. And I was like, well, I, I'm not going to utilize it in the form that it comes out. 
but it gives me an idea of how I might approach this and what I might want to say here. Um, so, so I, I'm with you. It's, again, it's like, it's like if you need to dig a ditch, which do you want to dig it with, a shovel or a backhoe? Yeah. And, and this is kind of a cognitive backhoe, if you will. Yeah, yeah. So, so, so it is, it is, uh, it is uh, actually interesting to look at this. And so let's, let's take a step backward a little bit and talk a little bit about this innovation because we can generate a lot of stuff. But how would this work, say, in a, in a scientific setting, would you say that, that this is a tool that could accelerate, you know, say, R&D work at a, at a company? Do you have any visions on that? Yeah, I, I think that really, um, so, you know, I, I don't know if you know, the, the literature is pretty rich in all of these uh, various kinds of tools for how we can be more creative. There was one uh, years ago called a whack in the side of the head. And there's another one called thinker toys. Do you remember these? I mean, yeah, they're, they're, yeah. they're still pretty fabulous. Right. And it's how to, and, and if you work in the space that you and I work in, where we're working with uh, org development or things like that, these are really great tools for getting a group of people to, to work together and come up with these disparate ideas so that at least you can move forward on them. I think we can utilize chat GPT similarly as a partner, for example, for brainstorming, right? In that it's going to reach out and it's going to pull in um, ideas from, from places that we might not have thought about, right? That's the value of sitting in a room with people and brainstorming. If you can keep them from going down a trail where they get locked in on an idea and they, you know, they just want to beat that one drum. Um, but, but it can actually bring multiple, you know, perspectives. And then I think if you were to utilize this in a group, let's say, and say, all right, Mark, you go out and you run a little chat GPT background and see what you come up with and I'll go run out. And then when we come back face to face, there are certain ideas that are going to spark things from you or the, in you that we wouldn't have otherwise thought of. And, and so I think that that's kind of an example of a potential where we could utilize this, this tool as a, again, as an augmentation rather than a replacement. Okay. And, and then there's this, this idea of, you know, it seems to me like it could be a way of, of being able to manage what we collectively know, right? And in organizations, right? That we could actually, um, remember you and I worked on a project along it was for one of the national laboratories and it was for them to be able to instantly report on any of their projects right and can you imagine having this tool then and being able to to match it to your audience and so it seems to be like this is a great way uh, to work in this area you and I have worked in for managing our knowledge to be able to build on what we already know because you know all of that with human beings tends to slip away. Right. And that's that was our discovery, right? That we put in these uh, huge knowledge bases and that invariably, we, although we had this knowledge tagged and meta-tagged and what have you, that, um, that people would still scream across the thing, hey, Tom, how did, you, how, did, how did you do that? Or where is that file located? And so I think that this would actually, you know, because it's like having a conversation with another, you could ask this AI, where is that thing and get it. Now, the flip side though, Mark, is remember we worked with the nuclear weapons complex. That's not the kind of thing you would want out there in the public domain, right? 
Yeah, that's exactly right. And so let's let's come in for a landing now because, man, does our time go fast here. So the takeaway, as I understand it, is chat GBT is just another tool. So would you like to speak to that and wrap it up for us? Okay, so here's what I'm going to tell you. Here's my takeaway. It's, it's not going to create for you. It's not going to innovate for you, but it will augment your process. Um, it'll help you do virtual brainstorming. It'll help you do a big literature search so you can see what's out there. It's that Morvax paradox, though. You've got to remember that we can train machines to do some things, but not all things. And the stuff that we think is easy as humans and the stuff that brings the most value added comes from us as humans. And there, there you've heard it, folks. So as always, thank you, Dr. Grassberger, for being on the show. And uh, that's going to be a wrap for us now. So see you next time, folks, on the Future of Work Live. You can find the Future of Work Live episodes in video and podcast format on www.marksalsbury.com. Additionally, YouTube hosts the video episodes on the Future of Work channel, and Apple, Spotify, and Google host the podcasts.